You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and this is a conversation featuring Michael Sweet. Michael's the frontman of the long-running Christian-themed heavy metal backslash rock outfit from the United States called Striper. The reason for the conversation is to promote their upcoming Australian tour. I'll read out some dates. All are in August. On Friday the 17th, they're playing in Melbourne. Saturday the 18th, they're playing in Sydney. Sunday the 19th, they're playing in Adelaide. And finally, on Tuesday the 21st, they're playing in Brisbane. So let's have a listen to what Michael has to say. Here we go. Hello. Hello, Michael. Andy McKay-Smith calling. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good, mate. Good for a chat? Good for a chat? Yes. Wonderful, mate. All right, so Striper, you're coming down here in about a month's time. Tell us about the show you're bringing down. Yeah, uh, we're... We haven't been since 2010, uh, so it's been a while. And since then, obviously, we've recorded a lot of new music, um, specifically, you know, the three studio albums, uh, No More Hell to Pay, Fallen, and then now, most recently, uh, Goddamn Evil. So we're going to be doing tracks from those albums, yep. uh, which is exciting, because we've never performed those live in Australia before. Nice. And, uh, you know, we've got, we've got all the classics mixed in as well. It's quite a long set, probably about 20 songs, uh, hour and 45 to an hour and 50 minute long set. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be a good time. Very exciting. Have you got a lot of feedback from us over the years, particularly since uh, 2010? So there's a need for you to come back and a real thirst for the band's music within the Australian audience? Well, yeah, we believe so. I mean, you know, Australia and Japan were the two uh, places that we traveled afar uh, way back, way back in in the mid-80s. So Mm -hmm. uh, Australia holds a special place in our hearts. We're not able to get there every other year or every year. It's usually about every six, seven, eight years, and uh, that's unfortunate. So, you know, we've kept our fan base there, and we have quite a a good fan base in Australia, thank God, and Mm -hmm. we're really thrilled, and we're very fortunate to have that. Very blessed. I remember as a young fella, now it might have been the year 1991 or 1992, correct me here, but I remember the ads for you guys touring back then and wanting to go, but of course I was a bit too young. But what was your experience like back in the tours in the early 90s when you came down? Well, I mean, it was exciting, you know. Uh, It was a different time. Yeah. I mean, not just for us, but for everybody, every band from the 80s, obviously. Um, so when we would go there, it was very exciting. But you know what? It still is. The only thing that I dread that isn't as exciting is the actual traveling part oh, to God, get yeah. there. Yeah, it's <laughs> awful. Yep. You know, it's, I don't think anybody likes that these days. But you know what? Other than that, uh, we're so excited to get back to Australia. <laughs> it wasn't, uh, it was probably about 15 years ago or so that I started to travel further away from Australia and I realized how far away we were from the rest of the world. Um, and it, it really, you guys, you guys are quite a, <laughs> you're right, you go. quite far. <laughs> <laughs> so the band, you, you've alluded to a comment earlier there. Okay. So the nineties were tough for just about every hard rock and heavy metal band outside of Metallica. And maybe that's about it. Let's face it. <laughs> Everybody struggled. It was very hard to gain traction on radio. The fans never went away, though, and I think the introduction of the internet into people's lives proved that, and if you don't mind me saying, that probably gave you a bit of a, uh, a kickstart as well because people who had your records from the 80s 
and 1990 were able to reconnect with the band and share their love of the band's music. So what did you do through the 90s? Did, did Stri- Striper keep going as an ongoing concern, as a touring concern, or were you involved in other activities? No, I left the band in 1992, and uh, I took a little time off and wanted to get my priorities in order, my family first, uh, you know, and um, I just felt like I needed a breather, and I took it. And then in 1994, I released the solo album, <clears throat> and it did very well. Uh, and I went out and toured in 94, 95, 96. I released another album in 95. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I made a big move with my family from the west coast of the U.S. to the east coast of the U.S. Uh, and I've been here ever since. I was 1995. And I took a little time off and in, in worked for the family business and then got back involved in music again in 1999. And Striper started touring again in 2003. Hmm. And ever since that period, we've been going uh, faster and stronger uh, than the first run, you know, from 84 to 91. Yeah. Hmm. So very interesting. I've noticed that. I think you've released more albums since 2005 to now than what you did from 1984 to 1990. So the second coming literally that is, that is, is correct. The second coming has borne more fruit. It really has, literally. And, you know, the numbers are different and, and the music business has changed and everything. But that being said, we've been able to miraculously still thrive in what some say is a dying music world, in, in, certainly uh, in terms of heavy metal, hmm. hard rock and heavy metal. But, you know, I, I don't buy that. I really don't. I don't buy into that. We've been able to find a way. And uh, we go out and we tour and we make album after album and tour after tour and we just haven't felt the effect yet. Uh, maybe we will. We haven't yet. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, I don't know whether you will. I think you've got... Uh, the people that I talk to that love Striper, really dig Striper, get right into it. And I understand why. I actually think that whether it's been by design or just the way you guys have approached writing music naturally, you've gotten heavier and you've become more intense. And if I know anything about the music industry, it's when you go that direction, the fans become even stronger advocates of the band's music, therefore stick around longer. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And, you know, we still really enjoy what we do and we love what we do. And I think that translates over to the performances and the recordings. And, you know, people are very smart. Fans are very smart. They're not dumb by no means, and uh, they pick up on when when bands are just going through the motions or not. And Striper certainly not just going through the motions. We still love what we do very much so. Yeah. Question about uh, your Christian faith in relation to the music. Now, I'm a massive fan of Steve Rowe and his music in Mortification. So you may have heard of, of the band, the death, the Christian death metal band from Melbourne. I, I certainly have, yes. Yeah. He copped a lot of shit, if you don't mind me saying, from people uh, who are having a go, and in particular, I mean, you can kind of, I wouldn't say understand it, but you recognise where it's coming from and the people where it's coming from. A lot of the black metal fans and some hardcore punk fans used to turn up to his shows and threaten him. Did you guys cop any of that through the 80s? Because I imagine it w- it, that would have been the only oh, time yeah, that you we- would have got it. 
Yeah, we, we, we still do. No, it wasn't the only time. We, we still get threats to this day, and really? uh, p- yeah. there are some crazy people. There are some crazy people in this world, and, you know, that, that only intensifies with, with uh, larger populations, and there's, the population has grown since the 80s, so there's a lot more crazy people in this world since the 80s, unfortunately. And, yeah, we get it. We hear about it. Uh, we get beat up often. We get threats. People uh, threatening to to harm us or to come to our shows and do something or do this or do that. And hmm. sometimes you can write it off and think it's no big deal. And then other times you've got to take it serious. And, you know, it doesn't stop us from doing what we're here to do. We we keep on doing what we're, what we're doing regardless of what people may say. Yeah, just keep on plowing forward. You don't look like guys that you'd want to mess with anyway, if you don't mind me saying so. But where does the resilience come from, mate? Because it must be, you've got a family and and hearing these sort of things must be a little bit concerning from time to time. It is. uh, But again, you know, we really, uh, you know, we try to play smart and, and travel smart and do things the right way uh, and, and you know we don't take things lightly if we get a legitimate threat we'll contact the proper authorities and we'll take the proper procedures to uh, protect mm. ourselves and then we also have a deep faith in God you know we, we really feel that God uh, has his hand on the band and protects us and uh, it certainly is there for us so you know we we have no fear mm. I mean we really don't uh, we we I think we've proven that by what the path that we've chosen uh, for the past 35 years. I, I, I think that we've proven that we don't have any fear. You know, we have bands come up to us all the time, uh, secular mainstream bands. They'll come up and say, man, i got to give it to you guys. I don't agree with your message, and I don't believe in what you believe in, but, man, you guys got balls, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree, totally, so, yeah. It, well, I mean, we it's just how we are and how we're built, that's all. Hmm. It's very hard to dislike a band that has so much wonderful music through the catalogue. And yourselves and White Lion, I'm probably not wrong in saying this, yourselves and White Lion I don't think ever got the credit you were for your contribution to hard rock and heavy metal, and particularly Oz's guitar playing. So I'll ask you a question about Oz. What's your relationship been like with Oz through the years? Because I imagine you must have quite a brotherhood going on. We do. We, we do. I mean, obviously, we were the two guitar players in the band, and, you know, we, we play together and work, have worked together for years. Um, and, you know, we have a good relationship, and I think that comes through in the tracks and in the playing and the musicianship and the songs and, and all that. Um, so, yeah, it's great. A point I wanted to make earlier was I'll make a point especially when I'm interviewing an artist of your profile, of going and having a look at some of the comments on social media. Now, sure, there are a couple of negative comments there, but, mate, I reckon about 95% of the comments were overwhelmingly positive. Uh, that's why it surprised me a little bit that you were getting a bit of hate mail, because the YouTube, if you like, and Twitter are the two places where people seem to feel as though they've got a license to hide behind their keyboard, put an anonymous handle next to their, to not use their real name, use an anonymous handle, and say some of the worst shit that I could probably imagine. But you guys seem to have avoided some of that. And it's not so much curious. I think it just talks about how you've inspired your audience and the advocacy for your music 
But I, sorry, it's a bit of an aside point, but yeah, I thought I just needed to make that before we moved on to the next few questions because uh, I think it's nice to see and it gives me a bit of hope for humanity when a, a band with such an enormously positive message like what you guys have got, uh, certainly from what I can see. Well, you know what? I, you're right, you go. I think you're right. I, I, I do. I think you're right. We've really, uh, you know, been able to somehow rise above uh, the muck, if you will. But at the same time, the muck is there. Yeah, yeah, and for we, sure. We've mm. seen it and experienced it. And, you know, all the inside information stuff that we've gone through over the years, it's been pretty pretty mind-blowing. But at the same time, uh, we're still here. <clears throat> and it, I think that's the key is we, we smile through it and rise above it. And, um, you know, that's why we're still doing what we're doing. Hmm. For people who aren't aware... The colors that the band chose to use, I understand that they're inspired by a Bible verse. Can you tell us about that? Well, really, truth be known, uh, the colors came first, then the Bible verse came. uh, And we tried to find a Bible verse to go with the colors. Uh, But that Bible verse is Isaiah 53, 5. Hmm. And in some translations, it actually says, by his stripes we are healed. So in other words, uh-huh. what, what Christ went through on the cross and the beating that he took for the world and for our sins, we are healed. And that's really what our stripes represent and everything that we sing about represents. Uh-huh. What got you... Well, I, I'm, I, I guess you'd call me a lapsed Catholic, okay? So bear with me when I say that. Birth, you know, I'm Christian baptized. Christian baptized, same thing, of course, but uh, went through the whole process, reconciled. Right confirmed, was then raised a Protestant because I went through a Protestant school, got married in a Catholic church, though. But I guess I, I found it very difficult to uh, merge the tenets of my Catholic faith with everyday life. But you haven't. You've managed to keep, and I, I should ask the question, what denomination you are actually as well, and wrapped in this one here, but how have you been able to uh, keep the core tenets of your Christian faith as something that is enduring in your everyday life? Well, I mean, you know, we have a deep faith in Christ and, uh, you know, His ways. So uh, when we say we're Christians, that just means to us that we try to be Christ-like. We, we try to think about what Christ would do and how He would do it, and and uh, what would Jesus do, that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but we're a non-denominational band, really. I mean, we accept hmm. all denominations. We We go to a non-denominational church. We don't go to a Catholic church or a Protestant church or a... Uh, Baptist church, or, you know, we just, we go to church. And uh, we're typically non-denominational churches where there's every type of religion going there. Hmm. Uh, and that's that's the thing about uh, something I've always said, is I feel like religion, sadly, uh, separates and confuses people most of the time. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we try to stay shy of religion. We really do. Yeah, okay, I get that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Because it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? If you put it out there, um, do, do you get a lot of fans interacting with you that may not be aware of your Christian faith? Well, I mean, I think most people are aware of it, but we do have a lot of fans that aren't Christians, you know, fans that are atheist and agnostic and even Satanist. Um, really? It's yeah. pretty surprising. We meet, oh yeah, we meet them all the time. And they come to our shows and say, "Wow, we're huge fans. We got every album, but I'm a Satanist." It's like, "Wow, okay, cool." Wow, you know? okay, yep, fair enough. Come on in. I mean, we're not 
we're not a band that turns people away and says, oh, whoa, 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 hey, we don't want you hanging around. I mean, it's we're here for everybody. We're here for the world uh, mm. and always have been. Yeah, yeah, no, good on you for doing that. And uh, how do you keep your voice so strong? Because I think you're one of the few vocalists around and look, no disrespect to other vocalists out there that are in legacy and bands that have a rather large fan base, but I think your voice is actually getting stronger on record, at least anyway, from what I have from what I can hear, mate. So how have you done that? Well, you know, I, the thing is about my voice is in the past, it was really, really high, like abnormally high. Hmm. Even my speaking voice was higher. And I think it was so high that now that it's come down in range a little bit, gridded up a little bit, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's it's a little more down here on Earth versus up in the stratosphere. And I think because of that, uh, people are maybe able to relate to it a little bit more. And it, it, it tends to work for the style of music, especially, that we're doing. We've got, we have gotten a little heavier and a little edgier, and so has my voice. So I think it works, and it's a good fit. Yeah, indeed, yeah. I'm just in the middle of reading Bruce Dickinson's voice, and he's talking about, just before I got on the phone to your good self, actually, he was talking about what he needed to do to conserve his voice and the sort of things he needed to avoid. And it seems like the life of a touring rock and metal vocalist, you're better off living like a hermit than anything else in order to conserve your voice and not partaking in anything including dairy. Well, it's interesting. See, my, my theory is um, I want to enjoy life and live life, and I think some singers take it, uh, take it over the top. Obviously, if you do harm to your voice, if you're smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and drinking a fifth of Jack Daniels and you know, you're doing everything you shouldn't be doing, it's going to take its effect and its toll on your voice. But I'm not a big fan of the don't do this and don't do that. My gosh, don't have any dairy and don't do that. You know, I, I have dairy. I have cream in my coffee. Hmm. Uh, some people say, don't drink coffee. You don't drink coffee, do you? Yes, I drink coffee, of course. Uh, I, I, I'm not that radical in my uh, views in terms of things I, according to the world, should not be doing to have a better voice. But at the same time, same token, I, I try to take care of my voice. Um, you know, I, I'm not a heavy drinker. I'm not a heavy smoker. I, uh, I, I try to get my rest. I try to stay healthy. Mm. Uh, I try to condition my body. You know, all those things are important. Yeah, they are. Especially, I mean, I'm 40 years of age, mate. I can definitely say that the older I get, God, if I have too many drinks, I reckon if I have five drinks and I wake up the next day, I've got the equivalent of a hangover to when I was 25 and if I had 15 drinks. I just can't do it anymore. The body just oh. says no. Yeah. Of course, absolutely, and I'm the same way. But you know, people get up in arms about that when they hear Michael Sweet say that. You know, I enjoy a good a good glass of bourbon on occasion. Uh, I, I like it. I like the taste of bourbon. I, I like. I enjoy a good cigar every now and then. Yeah, nothing wrong with leading. You know, life. it's funny because when yeah. people. No, when people hear that though, coming from Michael Sweet, you know, they really get bent out of shape. Uh, many people do, and that's the sad part about the rules and regulations placed on people's minds regarding Christianity. You know, it's it's not enjoying a bourbon or a cigar. It's if the bourbon and the cigars control your life. And you know, that yeah. That's the sin that's the sin in it all and that's the uh the part that might be wrong about it. But you know, there's nothing wrong with uh 
having an occasional cigar or a glass of bourbon, which I do. So anyway. <laughs> okay, final question for you. You've had a long and very illustrious career, and you've got a you've got a great fan base that love what you guys do. So, what gives you the greatest source of pride over your accomplishments through the years? Oh man, uh, I would say just the fact that we're still here, uh, and we look back. I look back on the on the past thirty five years, and all the music, and all the people we've met, and the lives that have been affected. There have been people that were drug addicts and uh, suicidal. Uh, alcoholics who have changed their lives and turned their lives around, who are now pastoring churches or alive and happy and thriving. And those are the things I look back on and look at and say to myself, wow, that means more to me than the gold records hanging on the walls. Much more to me. Good on you, mate. A man of the people. That's You definitely strike me as that. And congratulations on the quality of your video clips, too. I meant to say that earlier as well. Uh, very high quality video clips. I love it when bands actually, uh, there's this thing with the lyric videos and stuff these days, and I appreciate everybody's on a budget, but I really appreciate whenever a band, especially a band like yourself, put the effort into the videos that you've got done, because I love watching them actually. The video four, and I'm just going well, to YouTube, good, the Valley, stunning video, one of the best videos released this year actually, so congratulations on that. Well, thank you, man. Um, the director is a guy by the name of Jamie Brown. He's very creative, and the band had some great ideas, uh, and we really wanted to make that one special. And, and you hit the nail on the head. We are working on a budget. Sometimes we'll get $5,000 to make a video. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and back in, 19, back in 1986, we got $500,000 <laughs> to make a video. Isn't it crazy? Do you ever look so, back on those days? Do you, do you look back on those days about the amount of money that was thrown at you as twenty-year-olds or whatever you might have been, and think, "My God, what were they thinking?" Not in the not in that you couldn't handle it, but it's just insane. the amount of money. It, and, and, it, yeah, it's insane. And what, what's even more disturbing is I look back on those videos and I think, "Gosh, these videos aren't really that good." And we spent five hundred thousand mm. dollars, and and we just made, as you said, maybe one of the best videos of our career for five thousand dollars. And I. And I just think that we wasted a lot of money, sadly, in the in the good old days, you know. But, hey, that was part of it. Everything was extreme and over the top. Yeah. All right, mate, I better leave it there so you can get to the next one. Congratulations again on your extraordinary career. And, I, gosh, I've got kids these days, so it's very hard for me to get out because I'm also a musician and I play on the weekends. But I'd love to attend the show, mate. And I'll, if I can, mate, I'll be there with my arms up in the air supporting you guys. If you can, man, that would be great. We'd love to see you. And thank you for your time, my friend, and we will talk to you soon, okay? Thanks, mate. No worries. Appreciate it. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was a conversation that featured the one and only Michael Sweet of Striper fame. Thank you so much for listening.